Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Ajo Way, a podcast presented by the faculty and trainees at the University of Arizona Internal Medicine Residency Program at South Campus. Each episode, we will delve into the evidence-based, patient-centered practice of ambulatory medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Indu Partha, a board-certified general internist with a passion for primary care and medical education. If you'll recall, in part one of our episode on dementia, we spoke about how to approach the patient who was presenting to your office with complaints of cognitive decline. And we spoke about the potential uh, laboratory testing that you may want to pursue and um, imaging. And so now let's pick up from where we left off. We've seen our patients for concern uh, about cognitive decline. We've made a diagnosis of dementia. So what next? the next step would obviously be to consider treatment options. And there are some general health considerations that you will want to keep in mind. As dementia progresses, patients will have difficulty keeping track of appointments, medications, and even remembering details of medical conversations and instructions that you may have given them. As clinicians, we need to keep these limitations in mind and make appropriate accommodations for these issues. Later in the disease, we need to recognize that patients may not be able to raise symptoms of concern, uh, things like changes in vision or bowel habits, perhaps some uh, subtle uh, pain complaints that may not immediately lead to obvious physical exam cues that we could pick up on. We don't wanna forget to pay attention to preventive care. We want to control blood pressure, diabetes, Um, and pay attention to cholesterol levels. We wanna make sure immunizations are up to date. Now, treatment goals and interventions along with screening recommendations will need to be individualized based on uh, a patient's stated preference along with the stage of dementia they are currently suffering from. Make sure to ask about nutrition and toileting, personal hygiene practices and dental care. What are some of the unique considerations that may come up for a patient suffering from dementia? Well, as clinicians, we'll need to ask and contemplate if it's safe for our patient to continue to drive. We wanna ask about any recent motor vehicle accidents, any near misses, any change in their personal driving ability or comfort. And we may need to have this discussion with a third party caregiver or another informed individual. We should consider advising our patients to have a driving evaluation at the local Department of Motor Vehicles or uh, ones that can be done through an occupational therapy program. State laws are going to vary, so we need to know our own state laws about reporting patients with a diagnosis of dementia to the Motor Vehicle Administrations. Here in Arizona, physicians are not mandated to report drivers suffering from dementia. However, if um, we do wish to report, uh, pursue reporting, it's important to know that a physician is unable on um, his or her own to revoke or restrict a person's license. The ultimate decision is made by the Arizona Department of Transportation Motor Vehicles Division. We want to continue to have discussions with caregivers and family members about the changes Um, in the patient's functional status, ask if they're able to self-administer medications, can they cook with a stove or oven, are they still using any power tools or lawnmowers, or are there any firearms in the house, and caregivers definitely should be asked whether their loved one wanders from home. 
a big topic, of course, um, is medications. What are our choices? So to start off with, anticholinesterase inhibitors, which is probably what most of us are familiar with, are an option for symptomatic Alzheimer's disease. And we want to slowly titrate to the target dose in an effort to diminish the likelihood of side effects. So uh, what are these medications? Number one, there is denepazil. Uh, we would start with five milligrams and then target dose is 10 milligrams. A, a higher dose may um, be less tolerable for the patients and side effects that may commonly occur include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, bradycardia, syncope, weight loss, or abnormal dreams. The benefit of course is delayed symptom progression in mild, moderate, and advanced Alzheimer's disease. There's also galantamine, which can be started at four milligrams BID with a target dose of 24 milligrams per day. There is an extended release once daily option available and the side effects are similar to those of denepazil. In addition to delayed symptom progression uh, in Alzheimer's disease, there's actually uh, has been seen a benefit of improvement in caregiver rated quality of life. Rivastigmine is another option. Uh, you would start at 1.5 milligrams BID with a target dose of six to 12 milligrams per day. Again, the higher end of the dose range may be less tolerable for our patients. Um, there is a transdermal patch option and the side effects and benefits again are similar to denepazone. Finally, there is memantine, which is an NMDA receptor antagonist. You would start at five milligrams daily with a target dose of 10 milligrams BID. The benefits are uh, less functional decline, improved cognition, and reduced demands uh, on caregivers in moderate to advanced Alzheimer's disease. But there is not really any enough evidence to support efficacy for mild Alzheimer's disease, and the side effects include dizziness, confusion, headache, and constipation. Of note, um, rivastigmine has been shown to be effective in improving cognitive performance in patients with mild to moderate Parkinson's disease. And the same is believed to occur with the other acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. Um, the data is unfortunately not clear for the treatment of dementia with Lewy bodies. And these medications are not indicated obviously for use in patients with vascular dementia. Um, Though it might be a popular fix that many of our patients um, have tried, ginkgo biloba does not slow the progression of dementia. NSAIDs and estrogen should not be prescribed for cognitive decline. Um, depression and dementia do coexist. There's mixed evidence for the efficacy of the use of antidepressants in dementia. And there is a very useful tool called the Cornell Scale for Depression and Dementia that you can Google and look up which is a helpful tool to piece together the picture. Weight loss and disturbed sleep, which of course can be symptoms of depression may be caused by dementia alone. So the picture can be very confusing. What about if we're trying to avoid medication because obviously they do come with side effects. What else can we offer? So there is a method called the 4D method describe, decode, devise, and determine, or the DICE method, describe, investigate, create, and evaluate that can help us treat our patients um, with interventions other than pharmacologic. So first we wanna describe the behavior that 
um, the patient and or the caregivers are concerned about. What are the characteristics? Does it happen at a certain time of day in a certain location? Are the same people present or perhaps absent? Are there any consistent antecedent factors that you have noted? Um, some environmentally driven behaviors may include agitation, for instance, brought on by hunger, fatigue, pain, or loneliness. Um, and in an institution, agitation may occur during shift changes or in the presence of certain staff members. So after identifying any patterns, targeted interventions can then be developed, implemented, and refined. So approaching disturbances this way can allow um, us to avoid the use of psychotropic medications. But of course, this is not necessarily the easy approach or quick approach. Uh, which can be a bit daunting for many folks to actually um, be consistent and persistent in their observations. So if our patient does develop significant psychologic and behavioral disturbance, what else can we do? Um, I, you know, unless there is a significant risk of harm, the psychotic symptoms should first be treated non-pharmacologically as we were speaking about because antipsychotic drugs do run a higher risk for death. If the symptoms are causing significant distress to the patient or are creating a dangerous situation, it does make sense to treat with medication. So a trial with an SSRI may be warranted in patients with Alzheimer's disease first, as it has been shown to be effective in reducing agitation. Lower doses should be used to decrease risk of QT prolongation. Second generation agents are preferred over first generation as there is a lower risk for tardive dyskinesia. Risperidone and olanzapine can be prescribed. We wanna use the lowest dose possible for the shortest time possible. So don't use antipsychotics for sleep problems because of toxicity and be on the lookout for side effects of metabolic syndrome, weight gain, hyperlipidemia, and diabetes. Head-to-head -head trials, however, of pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic interventions have not been done. Sleep issues are very problematic for patients with dementia and for the people caring for them. So some tips are to pay attention to the sleep environment, just like you would for any patient uh, complaining of insomnia or sleep disturbances. Ask about how much caffeine is being con consumed. Um, does your patient nap? What medication does your patient take during the afternoon and evening that might be interfering with sleep? There is no evidence supporting the efficacy of pharmacologic intervention, but if necessary, try trazodone 25 milligrams to 50 milligrams and monitor closely. So how else can you boost your patient's quality of life? Um, ask if they have functional glasses and hearing aids. Are they taking care of their teeth? If they have dentures, do they fit properly? Pay attention to your patient's surrounding lighting, noise, ambient uh, temperature. Could any of these be causing agitation for your patient? Um, how is your patient's grooming? Are they in pain? Are they having regular bowel movements? Do they need to wear adult diapers? And how often are those getting changed? At some point, we may need to call in an expert. So when should we ask for help? Um, it's advisable to consider a referral to neurology, geriatrics, psychiatry, or geriatrics if your patient has atypical features such as early onset dementia, early neuro, um, non-cognitive neurologic symptoms, a rapid progression of symptoms, 
tests or early changes in personality. If your patient has significant depression, psychosis, or hard to treat behavioral symptoms, you may wanna bring in an expert. Ideally, the care of your patient should involve the team, occupational physical therapists, social workers, speech pathologists, pharmacists, psychiatrists, are some of the team members that can make a difference. A few patients unfortunately may need to be hospitalized because of dangerous behavior, unsafe living conditions, compromised nutrition or lack of cooperation, and some may um, require psychiatric hospitalization. One of the hardest decisions a family may need to make is choosing when or if a patient should be moved into a long-term facility. Many patients move to a nursing facility when their physical and cognitive limitations are more than their family can manage. Full assistance with transferring, ambulating, toileting, or feeding can become too much for caregivers to handle, and care at home is costly, and many families cannot afford this level of assistance. It's recommended to uh, advise families to investigate care facilities in their area before a move becomes an emergency. And of course, we want to help and support the caregivers. They often are suffering from feelings of guilt, anger, grief, fatigue, and loneliness. We can provide them with educational pamphlets, books, websites, and referral to support groups. Paying attention to a caregiver's well-being can delay nursing home placement. We don't want to forget advanced directives um, as it's inevitable that full incapacitation uh, will occur for every patient with um, progressive dementia who lives long enough to experience the full course of the disease. Don't forget to involve hospice and consider discontinuing medications that have no short-term benefit. Keep in mind that hand feeding is recommended rather than tube feeding for patients with decreased um, oral intake in throes of advanced dementia. So in conclusion, we want to address patient comfort, their quality of life, cognitive enhancement, psychiatric symptom stabilization, and pay attention to caregiver well-being. For patients with Alzheimer's disease, consider acetylcholinesterase inhibitors or memantine if they are suffering from moderate to severe Alzheimer's disease. We want to identify and treat psychiatric symptoms and again, refer caregivers for support. Caregiver uh, fatigue is a, a real and um, difficult thing to handle. I really appreciate you joining me today. Um, I hope you learned a little bit about the care of the patient with dementia. It is a, a very tough disease for those who are suffering from it and perhaps even harder for the loved ones who are watching the decline. Um, hopefully there will be more advances made and we'll have more to offer um, for these patients of ours. I'm very grateful for your support. Would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review so that others can find us. And we really would love it if you would share the podcast with a friend or colleague. We can be found on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And we look forward to you joining us here next time on the Ajo Way, where primary care is primary. This podcast episode was produced by Ajay Partha. The opinions expressed on this show are those of the participants do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the places of importance. The opinions expressed
expressed on this podcast are meant for entertainment and education and should not be used to diagnose or treat any medical condition, nor should they be used as a substitute for medical advice from a qualified, board-certified practicing clinician.